Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Good morning, everybody. Uh, where are the youngsters? Just for you guys, you are a lovely bunch. They keep mocking me because I compliment you. <laughs> Millennial rudeness. Is it okay if I preach with my jacket? It's freezing, guys. It's the 1st of September. Has anybody told Mother Nature? Let's get Father God to speak to her. Ah. Let's see who haven't I seen. Who got bacon rolls this morning? Let's give some, some love to my parents. Well done, Mom and Dad. Thank you for loving us. Father, we ask you this morning as we sit around your word to come and whisper, shout, convict, change our lives, Lord. May the truth and the reality of your word come like an earthquake, like a fire, like a wind, like a whisper, Father. Um, thank you, Lord, that you choose to speak through broken vessels such as myself, Father. Thank you that you speak to us, that you are faithful to your bride. That you never stop loving us. Amen. Now this morning I'm sharing the pulpit with Jenny Gibby. Yay! So she'll kind of come up and, and share a part of it. And for the next couple of Sundays, we're going to share the pulpit a little bit with new voices and, and old faces. Not old as in age, but anyway, I'm going to stop digging. The... um. I felt this morning, like, I felt God said to me, is, is the soil of your heart soft and, and receptible, receivable, receptive? See, all the Afrikaans people don't laugh at me. Shout out. High five. Your English folk can laugh. But is your heart tender and can it receive? And the first thing was in worship, when we put him first, we shout and we declare his greatness in praise and in worship. We, we humble ourselves and humility turns the soil. And I felt secondly that um, when we come to him and, and we are coming with a heart and an attitude of repentance, when something comes that he tells us this must be fixed, that we quick to repent because we already repent, that turns the soil. And I felt a simple thing, us coming to him, declaring our dependence and say, God, for us to receive anything from your word, we need you, Holy Spirit, to bring it. So I want you to just consider where you are in that challenge this morning. I know where I am. But before we go into the word, I just want to be real with God and say, God, maybe I've been a little bit haughty. A little bit naughty, but I ask you now, turn the soil of my heart so I can receive what you want to say. We are in Daniel and the lion's den. You know what? It's so funny because I get to do the roster. It's one of my privileges. But I always seem to miss the good ones. No, wait now. That's why I want to say I'm vindicated. He's got Isaac and, and Abram and Isaac. I mean, what pastor doesn't want Abram and Isaac? Oh, and you know what else he's getting? The baptism of Jesus. 
You are my beloved son. Let me spoil his thunder. In whom I'm well pleased. <laughs> but today, like I got Joseph, I got Daniel. What is thing? This man that was taken away in captivity and then go through a lot of trials and tribulations and get thrown into a lion's den and live to tell the tale. Like it only blows my mind. It is unbelievable. But we find ourselves in the empire of Babylon. Is there a map? There's a map. Oh dear, it's terrible. We're still raising funds for that projector. If you didn't get the hint last week. So you see there, Turkey, Iraq, Middle East, Iran, Af Afghanistan, Pakistan. Pakistan. There's slightly up Kazakhstan there. So just before India and China, at the height of the Babylonian Empire, that was their size. That they conquered. A bigger land size than the area of China. Guys, they did it on foot. They went and conquered them on foot. They didn't have cars and tanks. They didn't have flames with little drop bombs and, and missiles. And they did it with spears and swords and daggers and knives and they, they conquered that entire land. Does it not blow your mind what we are talking about? It was one of the powers of the day. Like Russia, China, and America. I don't know how long we are still going to call China part of the developing. They rule everywhere. They're like the factory of the world. But that is how big... The empire was. Now I'm going to ask you to put up my first little um, face. The Israel, Israel fell. So the ten tribes fell in about 722. The northern kingdom where Samaria is the capital. It falls to the Assyrians. Now I need the theologians to wake up. It worked for Duan. It'll work for me. Wake up. They, they were a cruel people. What did Duan preach about? Nineveh. Nineveh was a? A Syrian country, city. Guys, come on, fish slappers. I'm working hard for my money today. So the Assyrians go, and how they conquer a nation is through fear. So they assimilate and conquer through intimidation. My next little face. The Babylonians, however, they don't do it that way. The Assyrians would kill the king and put him on a spike, cut off his head and keep it for an ornament, chop off his hands and his, his, his feet and let him crawl and naked under their tables. They, they were cruel, vile people, not the Babylonians. They go into a nation and, of course, through military prowess they they conquer the land but then what do they do they take the greatest and the best out of the country the cleverest the most beautiful the socialites the high standing the leaders the charismatic people they take them first away to babylon 
And they say to them, but don't stress, you're not our servants per se. You are free to live in our country. And this is what we have to offer you. We have money. We have aqueducts. We have hanging, hanging gardens. We have many gods. You can take your pick. You can earn and make a living. Integrate yourself into this thing. And they con them with this beautiful little hard face. The Babylonians assimilated through temptation. They took the hearts of the people. They would indoctrinate them that this is the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. You didn't lose your country. You gained us. Doesn't it sound familiar? How many of us go and, and avoid sin because we are so fearful of it? It doesn't work. What does sin say to us? Come, I'm nice. I'm delicious. I'm going to answer whatever you ever, ever thought you would need. I'm it. It tempts us. It lures us. It draws us. It convinces us. And society say, woohoo, let's go on this ride. Society is much more Babylonian than it is Assyrian. I think we've actually gone and lost some of that reverent fear for God in pursuit of whatever. So what do you do if you want to know more about this? You come to theology. The second point that I find fascinating, just in my intro, and we're going to go through four points, so don't stress too much, but it's just the intro point. Cyrus, one of the kings of the Medo-Persian kingdom of Babylon, it started out, he was known as the first protector of human rights. They find carvings and inscriptions that says all people are equal. And they should all have equal rights. And he's, he's known as the, one of the guys that, that first promulgated or, 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 or fought for human rights. And in this kingdom, where they are telling you are all equal, and they are telling you how good we are for you. You can serve whatever God you want. You can do whatever you want. No, no, no. We don't want you to stop serving Yahweh. But just enjoy yourself and eat a bit of pork. Guys, Later on, we get to chapter 6, and they still have a torture chamber full of lions. How does society tell us that they are good to us? Walk with us. Enjoy your journey with us. We will do you well. There is a den full of lions waiting. They are conning us. Despite being the empire of the day, saying human rights will be protected, they still had a den full of hungry lions to throw you in just in case. Like society will just in case chew you up and spit you out once they have had their pleasure with you. Very relevant to look at the history of the Bible. Go and explore it for yourself. Ask God, what are you teaching me from this? It's not a dead book. It is alive. 
It is brimming with life, revelation, and things God wants you to know and walk in and, and learn from. It is a wonderful book to discover. Do not neglect your Bible. But we get to this, this beautiful account of our protagonist, Daniel, who is... Um, now, gone through a couple of kings. Taken away King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, the son, many, 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 You go, na, 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 na. You know, as children go, na, 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 na. Many, 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 you're going to turn into worms. But anyway, don't you read it like that? The king was dead because he was measured and counted and found wanting. Then he comes to Cyrus, I think, and then Darius. And he's there now, and he serves as an official of the court. Now, when I read Daniel, I always thought he was the one who set himself apart. I shall not partake of the fruit of the king's court. I am righteous and just before God. Do you think if that child did not learn everything there was to learn about society, how they governed, about sorcery, about astrology, about magic, that he would have made it to be one of the three highest officials in that huge kingdom. He had to. He immersed himself, but he never became part of. He never compromised. I give him that. But he still went and he applied himself. Because he knew there was a purpose. Jen's going to touch on that. But we come to the story now. And it says that Daniel and two other people were the highest presidents, satraps. And they ruled over 120 high officials or princes in the Babylonian Empire. And above them, only above them, was the king, King Darius, who was subject to the law of the Medes and the Persians. King Darius, the highest officials, the officials, and they ruled this kingdom. Not blow your mind. A youngster, taken out of his context, forced to become something, rises just like Joseph did to the highest position under the king. Our characters in this book, and this brings me to the first point. The first characters we see are the satraps, the high officials, this group of governors, the people that ruled the day. In our context, it would be, yeah, but who? The ANC. The ruling party. They get to decide who the ministers are. You got Daniel, you got another chom, and another chom. And Daniel is kind of like the favorite minister in the office of the president, in the office of the king. Because it says he kept on believing what Daniel said, he kept on doing what Daniel said, and the king preferred him. But still, he was one of three. We see these satraps. Daniel 6 verse 4 to 5. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Launch your commissions. You will find nothing on Daniel. No corruption. No skeletons. Then these men said, oh dear, we shall find no ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. 
Now, guys, you've got to apply your mind. Why are his chums trying to sell him out? They're all equal. So obviously, if he's faultless, if you same as him, why do you have to sell this man out? We can draw a conclusion and an inference there, can't we? They were not the Daniel type of people. Which brings me to the point. They had evil intent in their hearts. They were jealous. They were envious. They were covetous. They were malicious. They were devious. And they had this insatiable desire for power and money and things. I want to offer or propose that perhaps the satraps in this story represents in our lives the enemy, the devourer, the one who comes to kill and destroy and who's got only plans of disaster for your life, who will manipulate and stack the cards against you and laugh at you when you fall. The aim is to kill and to destroy. Have you ever experienced the plans of the enemy in your life? The second character we see in this, this account is King Darius. Daniel 6, 6 to 7. Then the high officials and satraps came by agreement to King, to the king and said to him, Oh, King Darius, live forever! Oh, this devil is coming with a cunning plan, isn't he? All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors, we all agree that you, king, should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or any man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of the lions. He comes with this cunning plan. And he plays right into King Darius's insecurities. He was a wise man, obviously. He was a strategist. He was a powerful man. Maybe he was charismatic to fit into the Babylonian kingdom. He was an affable person, perhaps. But he was the king. You don't become king of a kingdom like that by just per chance. Oh, this day I arrived and everybody loved me. They made me king. He was manipulative. He was a strategist. He was cunning. He was clever. He surrounded himself with wise people from different nations to establish himself. He's been exposed to the character of Daniel. It says in the scripture he was had an excellent spirit, Daniel was noticeable this king noticed it so much in this slave eunuch that he makes him one of the three highest officials and he prefers him he's able to see the hand of God on Daniel but he was prideful he was insecure and fearful Self-adulating, ambitious. It's just my take on the scripture. Maybe you get something different from it. <laughs> and he succumbs to this ridiculous notion 
of these people that he obviously knows are good for the kingdom, but not always good for him. Because why does he prefer Daniel? And he succumbs to their suggestion that he should treat himself as a god. I want to say King Darius in this story in our lives represent, drumroll, thank you, ourselves. Where we want to promote ourselves. We are so insecure in knowing who we are that we succumb to flattery. Mind you are the best preacher, I know. Right? And you're not really overweight. You're just beautiful. I know, right? So nice and tall in that hair of yours. Like a silver fox. I know, right? And in my mind, I do what King Darius does and I make myself a god. I succumb to these stupid illogical plans that the enemy throw at me and I start to believe his lie. Our aim in this is to be independent of God and to be our own gods. Tell me if you, if you, you don't sometimes get quiet and, and think about, oh, why did I do that? Why did I say that? And once you get past the shame and embarrassment, you get to the reality that, oh, shucks, I thought too much of myself. I valued my own opinion too much. First characters we see satraps, they represent the enemy. And he's real and he's out there. The second one is ourselves. Darius represents us. Where we are kings called to rule for God, but we make ourselves gods instead of knowing that we are kings in his kingdom. Jane, you can talk to us about Daniel. Morning, everyone. <laughs> I agree with Summer. Um, quite intimidating in front of everyone. <laughs> um, so I have the privilege this morning of talking about the remarkable life of Daniel. And um, Reading this book, knowing that it's been written in the 6th century BC, and then seeing how relevant it is to the society we live in today, is just so incredibly profound for me. Um, and I've highlighted three points about the life of Daniel that I would like to share with you. So the first point I have is that Daniel was chosen and we read in verse 1 and 2 of Daniel 6, as, as Johan mentioned, that um, King Darius employs 120 satraps and then three governors to which the satraps report. Um, and Daniel's one of these three. And then in verse 3, we read, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So what really stood out to me here is that God placed an excellent spirit in him. And then 
as Johan mentioned, that Daniel was deported to Babylon. He was a foreign, a foreigner in Babylon. And here he is. Here he is, one of three governors. But not just that, he is the favored one. He is the one that King Darius says, I think of setting him over the whole realm. And, and today, in our day and age, that is something similar to the prime minister. This is so profound to me. But it's not because of who Daniel necessarily is in himself, but it's because God placed that spirit of excellence in him. God equipped him for that time and place. So my challenge to, to us as the church is, are we aware of the skills and the abilities that God has given us, how he's equipped us? Or are we prideful in the things that we are good at because we have forgotten that those things are really from God? I know Lainey mentioned previously a few weeks back that in today's society, pride is something that is celebrated. It is something that is praised. And it is such a challenge for us to not to succumb to that pride. My second point is that Daniel lived a consecrated life. So consecration refers to the act of setting yourself aside and dedicating yourself wholeheartedly to the ways of God. This is one of my favorite parts in Daniel 6. Um, Johan, Johan mentioned, or told the story where, you know, the satraps and the officials, they become jealous, they become envious of Daniel and that King Darius favors him. And they go to King Darius and they, they convince him to enforce this royal statute that whoever petitions a god or another man other than King Darius, that he gets thrown into the lion's den. Um, and my question to us is, how would you react? Say, for example, our president were to say, you can no longer worship your god publicly. How do we react to that? Do we go and become scared? Do we go hide at home and we do not make known who we are as Christians? How did Daniel respond to this? Verse 10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. And I was just so encouraged by this. I feel like Daniel, the royal statute was enforced and then he just rushes off to, to where he stays and he flings open the windows and he prays. And he's just so confident in that. Um, and I was challenged. I was challenged, are we consecrating ourselves to God? No matter how difficult it, it might be, no matter the potential consequences it might hold for us. Or are we complacent? 
are we in the spiritual slumber that Duan spoke about last week? In the times we live in today, everything has become permissible. And it is so easy to compromise on our godly standards. Are we living a life of consecration without compromise, the way Daniel did? And then my last point is that Daniel was a man of confidence. And I'm not speaking about self-confidence, confidence in your own abilities, but he was God-confident. And when you read through the entire book of Daniel, you constantly see this confidence in God on display. After King Darius reluctantly throws um, Daniel into the lion's den, he says to Daniel, your God, whom you, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now this is King Darius speaking. And the, and the point that I want to make here is that the life of Daniel, the confidence that he had in God, then becomes the platform for the confidence that King Darius has in God. Are we providing that platform for others? Or are we making those stumble around us? That's all from me. Thank you. Well done, Jane. Uh, give her a bit of love. Well done. So the next character we spoke of was Daniel, the satraps King Darius, Daniel. Oh, it's, it's hectic, eh? Why are you laughing? But just quickly, wrapping up the satraps and the King Darius, after what happens to, to Daniel, thrown in the den, taken out, the satraps, those high officials, get taken by King Darius, and they get thrown into the lion's den. Their arrogance of heart, their this status that was so important for them, they lived like they didn't have to face the consequences. We'll just quickly catch Daniel praying to his God and nothing's going to happen to us. What happens? They get caught. But not only do they get caught, their families are thrown into the lion's den. And the word says that before they even reached the ground, the lions devoured them. Children, wives, families. Arrogance of status. Arrogance of heart for King Darius. He elevated himself to this lofty position of God. Yeah. May we never be people that are full of arrogance of heart. The Bible speaks about arrogance of heart in two places. Isaiah 9 verse 9 and Jeremiah 48 verse 29. It speaks about don't make yourself... Give yourselves more magnitude than you ought to have because God will oppose it. And do not elevate yourself more than you should because God will oppose it. And we all know, Proverbs says, pride comes before the fall. But the last character in this beautiful account of our young man, Daniel, got to give glory to the one who is above it all, God. Yahweh, uncreated, King of kings, Lord of lords, unchallenged, Elohim, Jehovah Jireh, the immutable God, the all-present God, the all-knowing God. 
I thought for a moment he wasn't present. And that in his presence, things will just happen. Fail. Epic fail. He is present. And not only is he present, he is directing. And he is preserving. And he is guiding. And he is making a way for his glory and his nature to show. God before everything else is a redemptive God. May we never forget that. Daniel 6, 25 to 28. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, the nations, and the languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. He is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. And his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Goes on to say, does Daniel prospered? We have the satraps and the high officials. They are there like the enemy coming for us. We've got King Darius who stands in front of God's purpose like we stand and block God's purpose for our lives. We have God's purpose through the life of Daniel that says, when you, su- when you submit to me, it shall go well with your life. And then we have God who is eager to come and make himself known in our lives. You know what happens in this situation? They thought they would kill the voice of God through Daniel by killing him. But what happens? Our God establishes himself and starts the great commission in the Old Testament. He tells of who he is and he sends out that anybody who believes in him will be saved. Go into the nations. My challenge for us as a church, do you still get excited when you hear that we are going to India on a mission trip? Does it still make you come alive when we say, let's go and tell the nations about our God. Let's take this decree. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. He has dominion for all eternity. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Do you still want to shout it on the mountaintops and declare it to the nations? We should. May this next season that's lying ahead of LRC be a season where we take, like Daniel did, the truth about God, and may His kingdom be established in all nations. Right here, starting in South Africa. I'm the only one getting excited today, but I'm very stoked. I'm very stoked. I believe God is giving back to us something of a mandate to go into the nations and take His love there. My challenge is for Daniel... What had to come before God taking it to the nations was Daniel had to declare it in the area where he was. He didn't open the windows in a far-off kingdom. He opened the windows where he lived. Are you opening your windows? Is God's love reaching your community where you stay? Because I do believe there's something of the design in God, the design of God in this. When we live with his love and his reality where we are, the nations will open up for him through us. You okay with that?
So hopefully it wasn't just a story that scared you when you were little and you thought, oh dear, I have to obey because otherwise I'm going to get eaten by hungry lions. Father, we thank you that your word comes in a multidimensional way to us. Thank you for application upon application. Thank you for truth and revelation, Lord. I pray, Father, that you will convict us to live with your presence and the reality of your presence every day. And Father, we now, as your people, collectively receive your mandate to go into the nations and tell the world that Jesus lives and Jesus answers, Jesus saves, and Jesus is the solution. Amen.